Welcome, folks, to another edition of Opinions All Day, and this week I will be covering the Chargers' running back situation, present and future, Jim Harbaugh potentially in line for the job if the season goes sideways, James Harden's recent idiot self-centered comments, and I'll give my take on the growth of college football, realignment, why it's great, stay tuned for that later on. But I start off the show with the Chargers' first preseason game against the Rams. 34-17 throttling of a beat-up Rams team. That's a disaster. The roster's a train wreck for them. They started Zach Evans at running back. Royce Freeman. Stetson Bennett. They had Brett Ripon in at quarterback. And they had Tyler Johnson at wide receiver. They had some other no-name people. And their best starting receiver coming into the year is Van Jefferson or whoever it is. I mean, the Rams roster is a joke. It's a, it's a result of the F them picks motto. Aaron Donald didn't play. But the Chargers backups, for the first time in a while, and it's been a while, looked competent. They looked great. Because for years and years, especially in the last couple of years, three to four years, we've had star players on offense, Justin Herbert, Phillip Rivers, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler, star centers, left tackles, right tackle, Joey Botha, Derwin James. You know, we have all those star, big-name players in the key positions, but when players go down for injuries... When Austin Eckler goes out or if Justin Herbert goes out, the team goes sideways. If Duran James is out of safety, the safety position, a train wreck. We've seen it before. you got to have backups. And Easton Stick looked amazing in Kellamore's offense. He looked competent for the first time in his career. He had commanded the offense. The chaos of the Anthony Lynn years, Joe Lombardi's over-complex elementary school offense made Easton Stick look like he didn't belong in the arena football league. It was terrible. And the dude's been in the league since 2019. Um, In the game against the Rams, he was 14 for 21, 109 yards, one touchdown. The two-minute drive with the touchdown pass to Quentin Johnson was impressive. And... The NFL, over the years, 49ers, different teams, you have to have a competent, decent backup quarterback. Because if something were to ever happen to Justin Herbert, like last year, his ribcage, lungs, upper body injuries, lower body injuries, having a confident Eastern stick is important. You have to have a competent backup quarterback. In order to finish off a game, if the injury takes place during the game, or possibly a few games, and being able to go, I don't know, if Justin Herbert's out for four games or whatever, go two and two. Be respectable. you got to keep the team afloat and keep the offense afloat, keep the flow going, which is vital in today's NFL. you got you got to have a decent backup quarterback. Easton Stick, for the first time, looked competent. Max Duggan, the rookie, the, the other guy, yeah, he wasn't great. He, lo- he looks like a third-string quarterback. He was two for three, 19 yards, 
got sacked three times. Ran, he ran into a couple of sacks. He has a long ways to go. Hopefully, we don't have to ever have to see him play. But Easton Sticks, definitely the backup. Good for him. And it's another example of why Kellen Moore's offense is going to be vital, essential to this team's success in order for the firepower to show what it's made of. And also, the other rookie, Darius Davis, as I expected, as I pointed out throughout this summer on this show every single week, I said he was going to be a playmaker. He had an 81-yard punt return for a touchdown. The Chargers have not had an actual speed guy since since Darren Sproles. We've had guys like Joe Reed. He didn't pan out. He's out of the league. Jalen Guyton's inconsistent at practice, has a hard time getting on the field. Injuries. Last year, DeAndre Carter was brought in as the speed guy, but he's older, been on half the teams in the league. Definitely seemed like he was... On the backside of his career, he didn't have much left in the tank. Darius Davis made plays on offense, two catches, 21 yards, almost broke that 13-yard pass he had for a first down. He almost broke it for a touchdown, and he almost came close to taking another punt return to the house. Darius Davis is a touchdown waiting to happen. He will set up great field position for this offense, and with Kellen Moore's creative innovative, progressive play calling. Darius Davis will be a threat on offense to blow the top off these defenses on the schedule. I mean, you get the Dolphins week one, Titans, Vikings, Raiders, Cowboys, Chiefs coming on the pike. You got to have those big time speed guys to burn a defense, whether it's in the kick return game, punt return game, or even just a deep ball. And we haven't had that with Joe Lombardi's shitty offense. And then with Jalen Guyton being in and out of the lineup, can't get on the field. We've had beat up old speed guys. DeAndre Carter wasn't good enough, wasn't fast enough, lost his speed. D- Darius Davis is a weapon. And I am keep saying it, he, outside of Justin Herbert, he can be the potential MVP of this team because I believe he has the potential to flip a lot of games around. Because the Chargers, we've been in a lot of close games over the years. Last year, year before, we having a punt return guy, speed guy, just to blow past the defense, flip the game upside down, you have to have it. You have to have it. It is important to have. And I believe the Chargers, Tom Telesco, Brandon Staley, Kellen Moore, I believe they have that with Darius Davis. And you showed that in game one. I look forward to see what he does against the Saints this weekend on Saturday and then against the 49ers to wrap it up. But Darius Davis is a weapon. I know Kellen Moore is not going to bring out the bells and whistles in week two and three and one of the preseason. But, man, even in the vanilla stuff, he looks really good. Uh, The running game was on target. Isaiah Spiller had a few great runs. The interior offensive line created a lot of big holes. Spiller had a 70-yard touchdown called back. It was great to see him on the field finally. Spiller doesn't have great speed. He has that Melvin Gordon style of patience and then exploding through the hole, which is 
finally nice to see. We finally got to see it. He didn't play at all last year, he, he, except for garbage time later in the year. Joshua Kelly had an okay game. He had 54 yards. I believe the running back position needs to be better. It has to be better. And I believe if we can get Isaiah Speller on the field, getting going, getting used to playing in the NFL since Lombardi just had him rot on the bench last year, I believe Kellen Moore will get him into the game. He can catch the ball in the backfield. He can make plays. He's a bigger running back. So it's good to see him play. But the MVP of the game was Elijah Dodson, the undrafted rookie from Northern Colorado. Six carries, 92 yards, two touchdowns. He's elusive, explosive, has excellent speed, and can catch the ball in the backfield. We need a running back to step up behind Austin Eckler because the past couple of seasons, it's been Eckler and a bunch of spare parts that can't play. Justin Jackson was decent but inconsistent. He just retired with the Lions. He's out of the league. Joshua Kelly has has that big build, low gravity between the tackles, but he's either getting 20 yards or negative five. There's no in between. Isaiah Spiller was supposed to be a you know between the tackles guy, hard nosed runner, but he never saw the field. Labor Roundtree, who I expect, who, who I'll get to in a second. He had fumbling issues. Attitude problem. We had Kalen Balaj in 2020 for a few games when Eckler had COVID. He's bounced around the league, no longer plays football. And then you have the Sony Michelle, negative one yard and a clot of dust. He's out of the league. So we need someone to step up. And I believe Elijah Dodson looked really good. He looked like a young Austin Eckler. That's what he looked like. And with Austin Eckler out the door once the season ends because he wants to get paid, you got to have a guy like Elijah Dodson step up. And I believe with Larry Roundtree cut, gone, that opens the door for a guy like Dodson to get on the team. And I believe he should be on the team because he looked really good. We'll see how the preseason game against the Saints goes, then the 49ers. But if he continues on this track... Whew. He will be dangerous for years to come. And that that's what's important because, and I'll get into this in a, in a minute, but the Chargers, Tom Telesco, they never spend a lot of money on running backs. And in most situations, unless you have a average C to B minus quarterback, you shouldn't pay for a running back. Because if you have a decent offensive line, you shouldn't need a big name running back like a Derrick Henry or Saquon Barkley. You don't need it. If your O-line is good, it's supposed to be plug and play, get yards, be productive, make plays. And hopefully with um, Dodson's play, Spiller's play, maybe Joshua Kelly can get motivated. But if not, he might be gone too because Dodson and Spiller looked ready to go. The defense, all the starters didn't play. Dayan Henley batted down a few balls, played well. The backups on the front seven looked really good. Thule, our second round pick from USC, 
look like he could start week one. Derek Ansley, the new elevated defensive coordinator, preaches aggressiveness, see ball, get ball, nothing cheap. Hopefully, for the sake of my mental well-being, mental health of watching this team play, and for every other Charger fan, hopefully, and please, for goodness sake, Brandon Staley, stay out of Derek Ansley's way. Stay out of the way. Let him coach the defense. Don't mess with anything. Don't mess with the schemes. Don't get in the way like you did with that kid, Renato Hill, when he was the coordinator for two years. Basically, Brandon Staley took it over for him. Like It was pathetic. He, he, like I feel bad for the guy, but Renato Hill was not a real defensive coordinator. He was just some kid that had the title, wore, head, wore the headset, did not do anything productive. So let Derek Ansley do his job. He's had him ready to go in training camp. Started in OTAs. He's aggressive. He's in everyone's face, which is what you need. Because Derwin James can't be in everyone's face. Khalil Mack can't be in everyone's face. You gotta have you gotta set the tone with Derek Ansley. And so far, the front seven, the backups, they look good. Tooley looks like a star. Like, I believe he has the potential to be really, really good. He should definitely be starting week one. We'll see how it goes. Henley and then Tooley looked really good. But the downside is, and I brought him up last um, last week, Kenneth Murray did not play, and I get it. He's a starter on a technicality. But since being drafted in the first round in 2020, pick 23rd, he's gone worse. And I brought it up last week, as I mentioned. His PFF rating is in the tank. Had comparisons to Thomas Davis, which is an insult. He can't read pass plays. Reads on the wrong gap. Can't stop the run. Kaiser White and Nwosu covered up for his deficiencies in 2021. But they had expiring contracts. The Eagles, Seahawks threw a lot of money at them. Kenneth Murray should be playing Every preseason game. Not only is his time on the Chargers coming to an end with Henley taking over, but his future in the league is on ice. It's on very, very thin ice. Because what team will look at Kenneth Murray's film and be excited for misreading run and pass plays? Terrible communicator. Like, who's going to be excited for that? The linebacker is the QB of the defense. You're supposed to be a communicator, and according to numerous reports from Daniel Popper and all the other beat writers that cover the Chargers, he doesn't communicate. He's quiet. And when you're a linebacker, you got to run your mouth. you got to talk. Misreading pass and run plays left and right is terrible. And I don't want to hear, at some point, I don't want to hear, well, the coaching just sucks. I, no, at some point, you got to own it yourself. Coaching can only get you so far, and Kenneth Murray has been a disaster since the end of the league. I mean, he was tied for 57th in tackles. And you're, and you're a first-round pick? That's embarrassing. That is embarrassing. That is an indictment on his work ethic, his communication skills. you got to be better than that. you got to be better than that. He should be out there competing with Henley 
for the starting linebacker spot. He should be. But time will review the truth by week five, six, or seven. Expect Murray to be benched. Expect him to be benched. It's going to happen. It hasn't happened. There's no way Dare Gansley and Brandon Staley can run him out there with the starting defense the first few weeks. He just can't. He's a liability. The dude is an absolute liability, and I'm not trying to ruin his career, but based on what I've seen for three years, which is a long time, he's had one decent game. And that's sad. And that is, I mean, that, that's pathetic for a guy drafted in the first round. A guy that had comparisons to Thomas Davis. That's pathetic. And I don't care what he did in college. I don't care about any of that. It's what you do in the National Football League when you are getting paid to be a star and he's been a bum. He's been a scrub. So by five, week five, six, seven, eight, I expect him to be on the bench because Henley is going to get better. He looked great. He looked way better than Kenneth Murray in pass coverage. He looked better in run defense. He looked competent. And he's a third-round pick, third, fourth-round pick. Kenneth Murray was first overall, 23rd. That's pathetic. You can't have that. You can't have your starting linebacker be an absolute joke. Can't. And I'm not trying to repeat myself from last week, but it just gets in my nerves. And, and when I saw that Kenneth Murray wasn't going to play in, in, in any of the preseason games, I'm like, what the hell? What has the coaching staff seen from him that's like, yeah, he can play? I've seen nothing. He's been terrible in every game but one. And, he, and even in that game, I'm referring to the Ravens game from 2021, he was garbage. He had two picks. That was his best game. And the team got run over. That was his best game. And so, so it's not really a compliment. That's not a compliment. I mean, you're the first round pick and you have, you've had one good game. That's terrible. Absolutely horrendous. And, and also... I listen to these other Charger fans on social media, other podcasts, and they're like, yeah, you shouldn't, yeah, Kenneth Murray should not be out there. What the hell are you, what have you guys been watching? He's not that good. All the beat writers that cover the team say he has a communication problem. He's lost, confused, doesn't know what to do. That's on him. You're not prepared. You're not prepared, you're not studying film, you're not taking it home. I don't know what you're doing in the facility all day, but it's pathetic. Because it shows up on the field every single game. Every game, there's always something going on of him. And they've had to bench him quite a few times for Drew Tranquil, and now he's gone. I mean, in the long run, the Chargers after 2020-2021, they should have just let him go then, because then you could have still had... Kaiser White and um, Nwosu. You could have both of those guys because they're way, they're both really good. Kaiser White reached the Super Bowl last year. He played really well for the Eagles. You had Nwosu on your team. You could have had one of those guys over freaking Kenneth Murray. 
Jeez, yeah, just get some of my damn nerves because he's he's not good at all. He's terrible. He's one of the worst linebackers I've ever seen in my life. All right, so switching gears. So Larry Roundtree was cut. I've said before, the Chargers running back situation is not ideal. Once you get beyond Austin Eckler last season, it was quite horrendous. Eckler had 915 yards. Joshua Kelly, 287. Justin Herbert on a cracked ribs was the third leading rusher at 147 yards. Sony Michelle, 106. And then Roundtree and damn pathetic. And then after that Roundtree, it was Keenan Allen. I mean, the, the running game, we were bottom five in the running category last year. It was terrible. Joshua Kelly is not consistent, has the physical tools, but it's either 20 yards or negative five. Larry Roundtree, since being drafted in 2021, he's been a fumbling machine. Poor attitude, doesn't stay in the greatest shape. Mr. Elementary School Offense, Joe Lombardi and, and Roundtree, they clashed. Roundtree was supposed to be a power back, never reached his full potential. So him getting cut was gonna was obvious. Anyone that watched him play that understands how the Chargers offense has worked the last couple of years, him getting cut was well deserved. Should have happened a long time ago. So I've also discussed a few times the Chargers should pull the trigger and plunge for a proven running back. Dalvin Cook, Jonathan Taylor. Dalvin Cook was cut from the Vikings because of his salary. They couldn't afford it. He ended up signing with the Jets on a one-year contract worth around $8 million, which the Chargers could have easily paid. But based on the reports, Cook wanted a bigger role. And the two teams in the lead were the Jets and the Dolphins, who are in search of playmakers. Even though I think a Davin Cook alongside Austin Eckler for one year would have had a dynamic impact, swift army knife and power in combination with the loaded receiver core of Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Quentin Johnston, Darius Davis, John Hightower, and Jalen Guyton once he's off the pop list, mixed in with Kellen Moore's p- play calling, would have put the Chargers at minimum the second best offense in the league. I I would have liked them going after Dalvin Cook because we got to have a guy that that when the passing game doesn't quite have it that day, when the receivers are getting shut down or locked down or whatever, or not having a good day, you got to be able to run the football. You got to be able to run the football to just demoralize a team's mindset. You got to have it. Dolphins, Titans, Vikings, Raiders, Cowboys, Chiefs, Bears, Jets, Lions, Packers. You got to be able to run the ball against him. Ravens, Patriots, Broncos, Bills, go down the list. You got to be able to run the football somewhat to win games you're not supposed to because I'm sick and tired of getting into these close games, and then, oh, look, we threw the ball three straight times. Running back draw and third down with freaking Joe Lombardi. I'm sick of seeing that because then the other team, whoever the hell we're playing, 
gets the ball back with eh, minute minute 30 left and still has a chance to freaking win the game. I'm sick of seeing that shit. Sick of seeing it. So run the damn ball. But with Elijah Dodson looking like a young Austin Eckler, there's a great great chance he makes the final roster. We'll see how the next few preseason games go. Saints uh, this weekend and then the 49ers. But if he's able to separate himself and maintain six carries, 92 yards, and two touchdowns, then the odds of of Elijah Dodson making the roster are very good. Because his performance against the Rams, that got Larry Roundtree cut. That was the last straw. Which reduces the number of guys in front of him. And if Dodson and Isaiah Spiller continue to show consistency, then Joshua Kelly might be on his way out the door because up until this point, he's plateaued to just being an average to below average running back. Look at his career stats. He had 287 yards last year. In 2021, he had a grand total of 102. He's not been consistent. Has the skill sets, has the physical tools to be good. Doesn't put it together. And the benefit of Elijah Dodson and Spiller stepping up is the Chargers can avoid overpaying contracts to running backs. Jonathan Taylor wants to be traded. Ultra-talented. Can run between the tackles and catch the football. But he's coming off an injury. And based on Tom Telesco's history as general manager, he doesn't pay running backs top dollar. Look at the Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler situations. And with the trends of the NFL, if you have a quality offensive line, a top-tier quarterback, overpaying for a running back is pointless. Unless you're the Titans, Giants, Vikings, 49ers, and Dolphins, who have limitations at quarterback, there's no reason to pay top dollar for, for a running back. But my point is, Dalvin Cook was only $8 million. The Chargers could have, could have paid that. They could have paid that. They very easily could have paid that. And congrats on Dalvin Cook. I understand he wants to live on the East Coast. West Coast wasn't exactly a stylistic fit. Families in Florida. I get it. He wanted the money also. It was between Dolphins and the Jets. Chose the Jets. But I think Austin Eckler and a Dalvin Cook duo would have been great. I think a Jonathan Taylor, Austin Eckler duo for one year would be great. But the issue is Jonathan Taylor wants a contract ex- extension. The Colts are not, probably not going to trade him to an AFC opponent. And also trying to fit him in during training camp. Season starts in less than a month. That's going to be very, very hard to work him into the offense. Because Kellamore's offense, the players are learning it. They're installing it. Throwing in Jonathan Taylor, who has an ego, evidently. And him getting his carries, Austin Eckler getting his carries. That would be tough to do. That would be more ideal in like June, May, July, that time frame. Not towards the end of August when you're trying to get the roster set, install the playbook, 
get everyone comfortable, determine the roster, throwing in a guy like Jonathan Taylor, it would sound great on paper, sounds great in the headlines, but realistically, that doesn't work. That's not easy. It's not easy trying to bring in a star player and be like, all right, figure it out. Figure it out. Get it done. We'll learn the offense. If you don't get 10 touches this week, oh, get over it. Jonathan Taylor, evidently, he has an ego. Eckler has egos. Star players have egos. Learning an offense and only getting 10 carries the first couple weeks, that may not fly. So, the best bet for the Chargers at this point is for Elijah Dodson, Isaiah Spiller to continue showing out and allow Kellen Moore's offense to exploit and showcase their skill set so you have two running backs lined up for the future and when Austin Eckler walks in the offseason, you'll be ready to go. There'll be no question marks. There'll be no concerns. There'll be no, oh, no, we got to give the Colts the first-round pick. and then, No, we're not going to do that. Just stay the course. Develop guys because Justin Herbert's contract kicking in. We'll have to pay Rashawn Slater. We'll have to work out Mike Williams and Keenan Allen's contracts. Next offseason is going to be very busy. Khalil Mack. We got to figure out the contract situation. So if you have two young guys who are cheap, Elijah Dodson, Isaiah Spiller, who could be your future guys, you gotta, you have to hope. You have to make sure it works. Because if it doesn't work, it's a pain in the ass to have to pay a running back X amount of dollars. Especially when it's above what everyone else is paying. We'll see. The running back situation was a, is definitely still a question mark. But after seeing Elijah Dodson and Isaiah Spiller, what they showcased... I'm definitely feeling a lot better about it, but we'll see. Alrighty, so switching gears. The media has been talking about Jim Harbaugh to the Chargers. I've said it before that if the Chargers do not reach the AFC Championship game or at minimum win a playoff game, divisional round, whatever, Brandon Staley will be fired or should be fired. The Spanos family is notorious for being cheap on the head coach. But if you look at their track record in recent history, Mike Riley got three years. He was canned. An absolute disaster. Mike McCoy got four years. Anthony Lynn won a playoff game. Fired after four years. Brandon Staley had the opportunity in year one, even before that de facto playoff game against the JV Raiders, to lock up a playoff spot, but we melted down the stretch, losing to a tanking Texans team, and the day after Christmas massacre, the mismanagement of players, in-game adjustments, Mike Williams, starters playing in meaningless games against the Broncos, the wildcard game disaster, Brandon Staley has a lot to prove. He has to reach 
either the AFC Championship game or win a couple of playoff games. That's what he needs. He can't have a one and done or definitely not miss the playoffs. If he misses the playoffs, he's gone. So Colin Cowherd, everyone's probably heard of him, a big Justin Herbert fan, campaigned for Sean Payne to get the Chargers job. Even though I was a little iffy on that, wasn't sure if that would have been a great fit. I think that Broncos situation is going to be a mess. So on his podcast, Cowherd floated the idea of the Chargers missing the playoffs or coming up short, losing in the wild card round. And Jim Harbaugh having another big year in college. Those two could be a match. And it makes sense. Jim Harbaugh has flirted with the NFL, Vikings, Panthers, and the JV Raiders jobs. I've said Kellen Moore is already in the building. If he meshes with Justin Herbert, offense is top five in the league or first in the league, he might be the head coach. Because Dean Spanos, as I mentioned, as all of you probably know, he's historically cheap on the head coach. But if Jim Harbaugh is done with college football and the crap with the NCAA, the playoff committee, jumping to the NFL, the Chargers, to coach Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Quentin Johnson, Rashawn Slater, the best left tackle in football, Corey Lindsey, the best center in football, and Doran James. If I'm the Spanos family, I am backing up the Brinks trunk for Jim Harbaugh in a heartbeat. Like Dean Spanos acts like he doesn't have a bunch of money, but he's in apartment developing, private corporations, nonprofit, donating to political campaigns. He has plenty of money. A lot of money. He's one of the richest guys in California. Donates to political figures. He's rich. Jim Harbaugh is a successful coach overall, turned around college programs, built the 49ers into Super Bowl contenders, went 13 wins, 11 wins, 12 wins. He's a winner, NFC championships. And in the middle of that Super Bowl run, he pulled the plug on Alex Smith and put in Colin Kaepernick. The dude coached Colin Kaepernick to a Super Bowl. And they were one play away from winning that Super Bowl. If Jim Harbaugh wins that Super Bowl one play away, if they finish that play, Jim Harbaugh is one of the best coaches in the NFL or all football. Dude's a winner. He's a winner. And he's the the complete opposite of Brandon Staley. Brandon Staley is, you know, the cool neighbor, drink a beer with him, cookout, barbecue, Jim Harbaugh is one of those guys. He drinks milk, wears khakis. Goofy, wears goofy glasses. But he's, he gets into it. Gets mad on the field. He's getting out on sportsmanlike conduct penalties. He's losing his mind. Brandon Staley has a lot of pressure this season to go on a deep playoff run, especially with the talent on offense. You have a top five quarterback in Justin Herbert, who is currently the highest paid in the league. Another shortcoming, losing in the wild card around, 
divisional round is unacceptable. And for sure, missing the playoffs will definitely result in a firing because this team is way too talented to be sitting at home and going home early. No excuses. No excuses. I don't want to hear anything about mismanagement of players. I don't want to, I don't want to see guys lay near when a when a playoff spot's booked, locked in. I don't want to see guys playing in a meaningless game. When I saw that against the Broncos last game of the year, no meaning. Broncos are home for the holidays. Chargers playoff spot locked in. When I saw that crap, I lost it. I was five, six beers in, and I was like, what the hell is this? What are we doing? And that made me sick. I don't want to see that crap again. If I'm Dean Spanos and the Spanos family, I don't want to see that crap again. Because we've gotten it with Anthony Lynn, terrible clock management, blaming other people for not telling him how much time's left. Clown circus. Mike McCoy, Mike Riley, go down the list. They've had questionable head coaches. They're all canned in three to four years. If the team doesn't reach their goal, if they plateau, reach the wild card, lose again, he's gone. If they miss the playoffs, he's gone. And he should be gone. Because you've had plenty of opportunities in year one, year two, and damn sure in year three. I don't want to see any 9-8 and eight records, 10-7. and seven. This is a 13-win team. 13-14, 12-win team. They have the talent. They have the offensive line, receivers, quarterback, running game, defense. The front seven looks really good. The only big major question mark is the opposite safety of Derwin James and the damn linebacker. Because if it's damn Kenneth Murray again, oof, it's going to be a long season. A long season of twi- ba- twisty moves and acting like a ballerina, not knowing what to do on linebackers. He has a lot. He has a lot on his plate. And looking at the AFC contenders compared to the Jets, the Chargers are better. The Jets have a lot of question marks. The Bills are due for a disappointing season because they've had chance after chance to reach a Super Bowl. The Bengals have one more year of their core left. Joe Burrow, he needs to get paid. Jamar Chase will get paid. T. Higgins. Then you have Joe Burrow's calf injury, which in recent sports history can turn into a torn Achilles if rushed back too soon. Kevin Durant, classic example in 2019. The Ravens have Lamar Jackson, who is my third favorite quarterback to watch behind Justin Herbert and Cam Newton. They signed Odo Beckham Jr., but he's had injuries left and right the last five years. Can he play more than 10 games? Dolphins have great speed at receiver, but two is limited. And the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes, who's considered the best player in the league. But this idea that dynasty is going to continue a smooth sailing is delusional. Spurs, Patriots, Warriors dynasties had multiple down seasons in a row. So the Chargers have a great opportunity to make some serious noise. 
and Brandon Staley stay out of the damn way. Stay out of the way. If you can't deliver, keep the team on track. We're going to have problems. He'll be out the door. Jim Harbaugh should be considered, and I think he would be jumping up and down to coach Justin Herbert and that group of wide receivers in that defense. I think he's sick of college. He's been looking at his options the last couple of years. If I'm the Spanos family, I'm handing him the keys, whatever he wants, GM, head coach. Jim Harbaugh, the smart coach. If he can have success with the 49ers, if he can have success at various places in college, you're not convincing me he can't win games with the Chargers. With that loaded roster, no way. So, all right, so switching gears to some NBA topics. And my favorite player, James Harden, is in the news again. And this guy, this clown, really can't cannot help himself. So James Harden, if you haven't heard, called Daryl Morey a liar. He said, quote, Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will never be a part of any organization that he's a part of. Let me say that again. Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will never be a part of an organization that he's a part of in the NBA, end quote. So, James Harden was on a shoe tour in China when he made these remarks. Quite frankly, I'm sick and tired of James Harden's act. I'm sick and tired of it. I'm sick and tired of coming on here and having to discuss another damn James Harden topic when it, whether it's on the court or off the court. I'm getting sick of it. He's had multiple playoff blunders from the 2016 series against the Spurs when he melted down in Game 6 with no Kawhi Leonard present. He had like 10 points and a million turnovers. 2017, 2018, and 2019 against the Warriors. In 2018, 3-2 lead. Chris Paul pulled his hamstring. But James Harden, according to all these fanboys, he was the top five player in the league. That's what BSPN said. And guess what? Crashed and burned. In 2019, no Kevin Durant for the Warriors. Game five in Houston. Stephen Curry had zero points in the first half. Oh, and then he dropped 30 in the second. Warriors won that game, win the series. James Harden, nowhere to be found. In 2022, against the Miami Heat, James Harden no-showed. In this past season, second round against the mentally weak, bipolar Celtics, James Harden was garbage. In a Game 6 home game, scored a grand total of 9 points. In Game 7, allowing Jason Tatum to drop 51 points. Got blitzed in the third quarter. 33 to 10. And I'm probably leaving out dozens and dozens of other playoff games James Harden failed to show up in because it's longer than a Target 
public's checkout list. It's pathetic. Also, let's not forget each time he's torpedoed his way out of now three teams. Demanded a trade from the Rockets. Did not show up to training camp. Instead, he was out going to parties with Little Baby, Duh Baby, Drake in Vegas, Atlanta, Miami, and who knows where else. Showed up for game one out of shape, looking like you drank a 12-pack a day. He was fat, out of shape, looked pathetic. But he dropped 45 points in the Trailblazers. And then after that, he half-assed his way through the rest of the game with the Rockets. And then by early December, mid-December, he was out the door. He refused to shoot the ball, did jack shit, just stood around, got the ball, half-assed it to the next person. It was embarrassing. The Rockets gave in, traded him to the Nets because he wanted to be with Katie and Kyrie, wanted to win a championship, wanted to be on a winner, got injured in the conference finals against the Bucks when KD was cooking, averaging 40 a game, and then demanded a trade in January because he reportedly hated Kyrie. He wanted the 76ers because his guy, Daryl Morey, was the GM with the Rockets. He's the one that traded for him in the OKC trade. The get bounced out of the second round against the Jimmy Butler-led Miami Heat. This past season, James Harden had moments of frustration with his role of not being the number one option. Even though Joel Embiid, given all of his injury shortfalls and playoff failures, is the clear number one. He's the number one option. Averaging 35 points a game, league MVP, James Harden, still not happy. He didn't like Doc Rivers. Crumbled in game six and seven against the Celtics. Doc Rivers was fired, and since then... He's, he's discussed how difficult it is to coach and reason with James Harden, which shouldn't shock anyone unless you're a James Harden wannabe fanboy whack-off, then you're not going to see it. So free agency comes around. Harden wants a long-term deal. The 76ers were and still are hesitant for good reasons. He opts into the final year of his contract and he immediately demands a trade to the Clippers because now he wants to play with Kawhi, Paul George, and Russell Westbrook. But the Clippers want to keep Terrence Mann so that trade never happened, probably never will. Now this week, James Harden in China, shoe tour, pops off on his friend Daryl Morey, calling him a liar and that he'll never play for him again. That's where we're at. The, that, that is the James Harden saga in a nutshell. And I said it earlier this offseason, if the 76ers are serious about competing for an NBA championship right now and keeping Joel Embiid long-term because the Knicks are waiting in the shadows. 
Embiid has connections to the Knicks front office. His agent is good friends with a lot of those people in the organization. And Embiid is close with Jalen Brunson. Embiid, if this upcoming season goes sideways or they fall short of the finals once again, he will most likely demand a trade, which will doom the 76ers for years and years to come. They should have traded for Damian Lillard a long time ago. Daryl Morey doesn't want to trade Tyrese Maxey. Who gives a rip? And Maxey's a good player, but the goal is to win a championship right now. Centers, big guys in NBA, don't stay in their prime a long time. This isn't LeBron, Kobe, Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry. This is a center. Injuries build up. Embiid is banged up every year. A guy like Damian Lillard, who can drop 50 at any moment, is the type of player the 76ers need. Trade Maxi in that terrible Tobias Harris contract. Get a third team involved. Harden has exercised time and time again. He's a selfish douchebag who only cares about himself. He wants to be paid, be the number one option, and party every night. That's what he wants to do. He doesn't want to win an NBA championship. He can give a rat's ass about winning an NBA championship. He could give a rat's ass. He doesn't give a shit. Every time he says that he cares, it's a load of BS. And also, if Dame ends up on the Miami Heat, if that trade gets completed, the 76ers will have zero chance of getting to the finals because the Heat, Bucks, Celtics, and Knicks, who are up and coming, will all be better. The 76ers are in serious trouble. Like this idea that James Harden is making, oh, he's just making an empty threat. His nonsense based on his track record, blowing up the situation with the Rockets, torpedoed his way from the Nets, and is currently setting the 76ers on fire, this is not an empty threat. There's no way after these comments you can bring him to training camp and have him around the team. Like once the season starts, you can't have him on the bench. If I'm Dara Mori and I want to keep my job and stay relevant in the NBA for years to come, pick up the phone and start begging teams to take Harden. If the 76ers run back what they have right now in the Miami Heat, bring in Dame, they'll have a better roster. The Bucks will have a better roster. The Celtics have a better roster. All better than the 76ers. Like Dara Mori, get off your knees for James Harden. Just get off them. You've had a great, you had a great run in Houston together. Seven years, got a lot done. It's time to move on. Pick up the damn phone and start calling up teams to get James Harden the hell away from the 76ers. And find a way to get Damian Lillard to Philadelphia before the Miami Heat because if all that doesn't happen, if, they, if Dame goes to Miami and Harden stays on the team, the 76ers are screwed 
because Embiid will be demanding a trade in short order. And he should. Like, if I'm Embiid, I'm ticked off. I'm like, what the hell is this mess? I mean, damn seriously. What the hell is this? I'm not sticking around for this. I have to go up against the Bucks, Miami Heat, possibly of Dame, Celtics, Knicks, Cavaliers. The East is more loaded than you think. The Nets are young. The 76ers, they're not beating the Bucks with a banged up, out of shape, pissed off James Harden. They're not doing it. And if they lose James Harden for nothing and don't get Dame at all, they're also screwed because Embiid, he can't do it by himself because that roster outside of him is not very good. Maxi Harris, Mo Bamba, Patrick Beverly, Montrez Harrell, P.J. Tucker, Paul Reed. Are you freaking kidding me? That's not good enough. That's not good enough. Absolutely not. Not even close to being good enough. So, I'm no fan of James Harden. He's not catching any sympathy for me. He lost it a long time ago with the way he handled the situation with the Rockets, the Nets, and now the 76ers. And also throw in all the playoff blunders and collapses he's had. Doesn't help the situation either. So I don't feel bad for him. And no one should either. Except for his fanboys who love him. He's their favorite player. I don't know why because he doesn't win big playoff games. He had a big, sure, he had a big game in game one against the Celtics. Why, I want a cookie? He actually did his damn job. Game six, nowhere to be found in the second quarter, third quarter, and fourth quarter. Game seven, nine, ten points. Seriously? Pathetic. And he's supposed to be a top five player in the league at one point. Because all you fools say he can still play. He can't still play. He's a washed up, narcissistic, douchebag. That's what he is. No one should want him on his team. But if I'm Darren Morey, bro, your future in the NBA is in some serious danger because you've whiffed with the 76ers. Because you put all of your eggs in the James Harden basket and they've all broken. They're all shattered. Because that's what you're going to get. And when they shatter, they really shatter. Because James Harden, you don't want to piss off James Harden because he will blow that whole team up. He'll be gone, you'll be gone, and Jabon Bede, he'll be gone. Alright, so switching gears. College football realignment has been a big topic of discussion. And I don't talk a lot about college football. I grew up in the my, my first 12 years of my life in SEC country, watched college football. But over the years, I've pivoted away to the NFL, the Chargers on my team. The game is faster, easier to watch, less confusion with the playoff seating. There's a concrete system in place. There's not a committee changing the criteria every year. Every team plays the same amount of games, same regular season games, 
Every game is competitive. Even if one team is 3-14 and 14 or 14-3, and three, the games are competitive. And they don't last for five hours or six hours like the college games. At most, three and a half hours. Most of the time, three hours because the Chargers can start at the, the 430 game or the 425 game, and it's over by 715. Almost less than three hours in most cases. And college football has traditionally been a regional sport. Mainly South, Midwest, SEC, Big Ten. And the sport has reached a point where they need to expand and become a national game. The NFL has gone from national to international. People in France, Japan, Brazil, China, England, Germany watch the NFL. Expansion of international games, capitalism, money, Sunday ticket. The NBA has found ways to expand. The PGA Live Golf Tour combination. Heck, even the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament gets international ratings because it's chaos. Big games. Upsets. Duke. Kentucky. UNC. UCLA. College football has been slow to attract casual fans. You don't have to watch the NCAA March Madness the whole season to figure out and, and come the tournament, oh, who, who are the good teams? Because it's right there. TV, attraction, NFL. Super Bowl gets the highest ratings in the world. College football, they've been slow. Casual fans, they don't have a lot of casual fans. They've been working towards it. It started with neutral side, big games, big time games. Alabama, Texas, Michigan, Notre Dame, USC, LSU, Ohio State. Then it was the playoff system, which has been executed poorly with only four teams getting in. 98% of the teams have zero chance week one. Bowl games have been reduced because the casual fan flipping through the channels. They're not watching... Indiana versus Boston College in the New York Pinstripe Bowl. They're not doing it. Or the Tony the Tiger Bowl. They're not doing it. The expansion of the playoff to 12 teams is good. Puts more meaning into the regular season because now it's not just Alabama, Georgia, Iowa State, Clemson, USC every year. Now teams that lose one or two games won't be punished for losing on the road at Penn State with 18 to 23-year-old kids who are probably hungover. Programs can be built in college football. They can have a chance. LSU can have a chance. Texas. Texas A&M. Name them. Michigan. Penn State. TCU. Teams won't be punished at a road game in the middle of November If they have one or two losses, let them in the tournament. Give them a chance. And this idea that programs won't be able to be built. They're built in the NBA. The NBA went from super teams to duos. Nuggets, Bucks, and Spurs built teams over the course of years. They won championships, won a championship, 
The Spurs won multiple championships. Now one loss, Penn State, Miami, Tennessee, TCU, Texas A&M, Notre Dame won't be canned for a road loss in October, November, September. It's ridiculous. USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington moving to the Big Ten isn't a bad thing. It's not going to ruin college football. It's called growing the game. So the casual sports fan flipping through channels on a Saturday afternoon can watch Oregon versus Ohio State, USC versus Michigan, rather than Ohio State blitzing some conference USA program by 60. TV networks see value. NBC, CBS, ESPN, and Fox. They're throwing gobs of money because they know the potential for capital and viewership explosion. If they can get these bigger games, ratings will skyrocket. Sure, the traditional, old-school, hardcore college football fan probably won't like it at first, but you'll get over it and watch. People laugh the NFL International Series. 17 games. Ratings explode. Attendance increases. Revenue increases. And the goal is you should want to grow the sport. Attract more people from the Northeast and West Coast. You expand the playoff. Get rid of the subjective nature, the BS of the playoff committee. Set some concrete rules. Reduce the length of games. There's no reason to stop the clock after every play. Reshape conferences. Everyone plays the same number of games because the casual fan doesn't want to see Alabama blowing the doors off of Missouri State Community College. People want Alabama, Oklahoma, Georgia, Texas, Oregon, Ohio State, USC, Michigan, Washington, Penn State. Travel's not going to be an issue. These are 18 to 23-year-old kids. NFL players do it every week. They'll be fine. College football needs to learn to adjust. They're doing it slowly. They're getting there. But if you want to attract more viewers, get better games. Have a competitive regular season. And have the lower tier conferences form their own championships. Because everyone wants to feel bad for the small guy. Small guy in college football. No, the Alabamas, Miamis, Texas, Penn State's, Michigan's, those SEC, Big 12, Big 10, ACC, those blue blood teams, they matter. No one's watching the Pinstripe Bowl or the Tony the Tiger Bowl. No one's doing it. No one's flipping the channel and getting excited to watch. Oh, yay. USC and UNOV and the Tony the Tiger Bowl. Woo! Can't wait. It's not that complicated. Growing the game involves change, and I think college football will be better for it in the long term. It's not going to happen overnight like everyone wants it. They want it to be instant oatmeal. They want it to change overnight. Since the sport's a mess, 
Give it time. Get everyone a chance to get organized. Maybe install a commissioner to oversee the outlines and inner workings. NIL has made the sport better. Player movement. Let it let the dust settle. Let it bake. Get a 12-team playoff. Shorten the games. Shorten it from five, six hours to three and a half hours. Tone it down. Baseball made adjustments. They have a pitching clock. Let the changes bake, and you'll see college football come back to life instead of it being regionalized in the South and Midwest. Like, I've seen a lot of weird reactions on social media of people just offended that Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA are going to the Big Ten. It's like, why not? We want better games. These networks want to attract more viewers. More people want football. What is the number one sport in the U.S.? It's not baseball anymore. It's not basketball. It is football. That's why the NFL does very, very well. There's no reason on this planet that college football should not be good. It should be great. But right now, it's hard to watch. A subjective playoff committee, stupid rules, everyone plays different number of conference games. Get everyone on the same page. Get it organized. Expand the playoff. Get rid of those stupid committees. Have a tiebreaker system in place. Have rules. If you win your conference, you're in. If you finish the second in your conference, you're in. Bam, bam, bam. Not that hard. We don't have to make it that complicated. But we love to, in society, to make every aspect of our lives complicated. Football doesn't need to be complicated. The NFL makes it very, very simple. The NCAA tournament, very, very simple for basketball. NBA, system in place, simple. College football, get with it. Simple. Get organized. Give it some time. But let's go. Kick it in high gear. Networks are ready. They see the potential. They see the ratings for the NFL. They see the ratings for what football brings. The USFL, XFL, they don't bring any ratings. Fans are not. They're not. They want college. They want to see Alabama, Texas, Ohio State, USC. They want to see Dion, Nick Saban, Jim Harbaugh. They want to see big brand names. They don't want to see some Power Five school, or whatever the hell that means. Power Five. They want to see. They don't want to see big programs smashing Conference USA, Louisiana Monroe. They don't want to see it. They want to see games that matter. They want to see big time games every week. The networks want it. The fans want it. College football realignment is not bad. It's called growth and capitalism. All right. That is it for this edition of Opinions All Day. I will see you guys next time.
Welcome, folks, to another edition of Opinions All Day, and this week I will be covering Will J.C. Jackson be ready for Week 1? Eric Spolstra feels great about the Miami Heat roster. Dame is not on the team yet. And I'll give my college football playoff predictions later on. But I start off the show with Chargers preseason. Regular season football is almost here. Preseason training camp is over. I'll give my reactions, my takeaways. I'll review the schedule again. Make any necessary amendments, which I won't be doing. And I've said it before, over and over again. This Chargers team is capable of winning 14 games. And I know the preseason, Brandon Staley doesn't play his backups. He doesn't play his starters. It's all about the backups. Rest the starters, don't want to risk injury. He's taking that Sean McVay preseason style, which the rest of the league has adapted for the most part. And I got to say, I know a lot of folks on Chargers, Twitter, social media, fans. It's 50-50 on Easton Stick. And I get it. Easton Stick's not great. He's not been great his entire career. When he got drafted in 2019 and ever since then, he's not looked like a quarterback that could function in the arena football league or even Pop Warner because he hasn't looked very good. He never even got on the field in any regular season games because he had Chase Daniel, who's been the backup quarterback for the past three years, who was essentially a quarterback's coach, and all he was good at was handing the ball off. And folks need to understand, sure, Easton Stick hasn't looked great in all the games. He looked at the best in the first game against the Rams when he threw for 109 yards. 14 for 21, one touchdown, no sacks. He looked great. The touchdown pass to Quentin Johnston was on the money with a dime. Fell off a bit in the preseason game number two when he when he threw for uh, 233 yards, zero touchdowns, two picks, was sacked five times. Chargers lost 22 to 17. And then on Friday night, he... Uh, not great either. 9 for 11, 38 yards. He only played a couple of possessions. No touchdowns, no picks. Got sacked twice. We just need him to look competent. Because what happened last season? When Justin Herbert got his ribs cracked in the game number two against the Chiefs, he had to play. Because there was no way in the world they were putting in Chase Daniel, because he wasn't winning you games. Easton Stick, we've seen, we've seen him with backup quarterbacks on any team, any season. They can have one or two games where you're like, whoa, where did this come from? Go look at all the notorious backup quarterbacks. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Teddy Bridgewater, Brock Purdy now, Jimmy Garoppolo, these average quarterbacks, Jacoby Brissett, they can come in and look competent if they have the pieces around them. Because think about it. Easton Stick in these preseason games, he was playing behind the backup offensive line. And most of the backup receivers, the only starters he was playing with were Darius Davis and Quentin Johnson. Outside of that, it was 
John Hightower and some other random guys, Pokey Wilson, guys that may or may not make the roster. So this idea that people say, oh, maybe Max Duggan should be the backup quarterback. Max Duggan has a long ways to go. He's a third-string quarterback. But you have to have a competent backup quarterback that can win you a game or two. And when you're in postseason contention, and if your quarterback is banged up, he needs to take off a game or two, you need to have a backup quarterback that can potentially win the game or just keep the team afloat. That's the whole point. So this idea of this, this, these folks, these Charger fans, flipping out, saying, oh, he sucks, he's going to stick sucks. This is the best he's looked his entire career. During the Anthony Lynn years, never even saw the field. He looked incompetent. And the Joe Lombardi elementary over-complex 1980s offense, he looked terrible. Never even saw the field. It was Chase Daniel. So all you need is for him to be average. Just be good enough to play our game or two when needed. Because they could have used a backup quarterback that was competent or physically capable last season. And that Jaguars game, the game after the Chiefs game, when Justin Herbert's ribcage was ripped apart, lungs were beat up, he shouldn't have played. I'm not saying the results of that beatdown that happened to us would have been any different, but then you would have reduced Justin Herbert's the impact of his injury, his ribcage injury. You could have given him a week or two off, but they couldn't because the only competent option that Joe Lombardi had prepared was Chase Daniel. And the best Chase Daniel does is hand the ball off, and that's about it. Hold the clipboard, walk around, drink a Coke during the game. That's, that's, that, that, that was all he was good for. So th- this idea that people are grading Easton Stick on some irrational quarterback superstar QB1 grading scale is ridiculous. He's a backup quarterback, and that's what we need. Every team needs a backup quarterback. The Cowboys, and they had the Dak Prescott injury. Cooper Rush came in, won them three to four games. That's all you need. You don't need him to start the whole season. So folks need to pump the brakes on trying to put him on a QB1 grading scale. He's not QB1. I mean, we sit here and complain that we don't have a backup quarterback. That's all we were seeing in 2020. That's all we were seeing in 2021 last season, and heading into this season, we need a backup quarterback. Well, you got one now. Easton Stick is good enough. He doesn't need to look amazing. He'll have all the starting receivers. He'll have the starting running backs. He'll have the starting offensive line. That's what you need when you're a AFC championship contender, Super Bowl contender. You got to have a full roster. And that includes a backup quarterback. So that's my takeaway from the backup quarterback position. It's Easton Stick number two, Max Duggan number three. He has a lot of work to do. He, Max Duggan played better in game number three. He didn't play in game number two. He has a long ways to go, and he's the third string quarterback for a reason. So why is that hard for folks to understand? 
I don't get it. Just relax. We have a backup quarterback, which is what we needed. Every team needs. It's, it's, a, it, it's essential. Every team that's won a Super Bowl, that's in the AFC playoffs, contending for AFC championships, they have a backup quarterback they can go to and be like, okay, we'll be fine for a couple of games. With Beeson Stick, I got that vibe. He, under, he looks comfortable in this offense. Now the run game. The run game is very important. We all know if the Austin Eckler fiasco this offseason, it's going to be his last year, even though he went on a rampage recently and said he peddled back those comments, tried to, and said, well, actually, I want to be here long term. That's a different discussion, but the running back future is important. I've talked about it. Running backs don't last forever, and the Chargers similar to the backup quarterback position. After Austin Eckler, there's not much there in the running game. Like, look at last season and the last couple of years. It's been after Austin Eckler, who had 915 yards, it was Joshua Kelly at 287. He was the second leading rusher. Had a grand total of two touchdowns. Justin Herbert was the third leading rusher at 147 yards. Isaiah Spiller wasn't great, didn't get on the field. Sonny Michelle was negative. He was good for negative five yards. He was washed. He's retired now. Larry Roundtree's gone. He was a fumbling machine. Wasn't good enough. Had all the physical traits. Didn't have the work ethic. Didn't have the attitude. In preseason, Spiller's gone on the field. Kelly's looked good. He had a 75-yard touchdown run in the game on Friday against the 49ers. Elijah Dodson, the undrafted guy out of northern Colorado, he's looked really, really good. He has an Austin Eckler game of catching the ball out of backfield, running between the tackles, jumping outside. He's looked great. So the running back position is probably going to be, it's going to be Eckler number one, and then Isaiah Spiller slash Elijah Dodson, Joshua Kelly. That's what it should be. Having running backs that are affordable and good and can play well and get first downs, keep the defense honest, that's important because you don't want to get into a situation, and I get it, I was banging the table before, Dalvin Cook or Jonathan Taylor, that those options are no longer available. Jonathan Taylor, the Colts are not sending him to an AFC contender. Dalvin Cook signed with the Jets. But you got to have an option at running back that's affordable and cheap because you don't want to get into a situation where you're overpaying a running back, which when the average lifespan for a running back in the league is two and a half years. Austin Eckler's been in the league. This is now seventh year. He can complain and bitch all he wants about getting a new contract. Tom Telesco doesn't give running backs extensions. He doesn't give them a second contract. He did it with Melvin Gordon. 
And he's doing it right now with Austin Eckler. So if Elijah Dodson, Isaiah Spiller, and Joshua Kelly, the three of those guys can get in the mix and battle it out throughout the season of who's going to be the future running back, who's going to be running back number two, that's going to be important. Joshua Kelly has all the potential. The problem with him is he can break one for 75 yards, but then he could go the rest of the game and get negative two, negative one, negative five, negative three, negative six. He's good for that too. Isaiah Spiller has all the physical traits. Big. Running between the tackles. Run outside. Explosive. Patient. He just never saw the field. And in the NFL, you got to be able to run the football. The passing game is going to be there. Justin Herbert, Quentin Johnston, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Darnold Parham, Joshua Palmer, Gerald Everett. The passing game is going to be great. We already know that. But when you look at the schedule or any NFL team, you got to be able to run the football a decent amount. In the past couple of years, the Chargers and rush attempts and rushing yards, they've been bottom five. You can't have that. You can't be one-dimensional and expect to win a Super Bowl. And you don't need an amazing Derrick Henry-type running back to get that done. Especially when you have a top-five quarterback. You just need a group of guys that can get you yards and keep the opposing defense honest. And I believe throughout this um, preseason, we have some of that. Isaiah Spiller looked good. Elijah Donson looked good. He looked really good. A lot of potential. Joshua Kelly. Those three guys throughout the season, I believe all three will make the team. They've got to battle it out and fight for who's going to be the future starting running back and who's going to be the backup. Because Austin Eckler, and I get it, a lot of fans... Love him. He's a team fan favorite. He's going to be gone next season. So someone needs to step up. Because of Justin Herbert's contract kicking in with Rashawn Slater needing to get paid, figuring out Mike Williams and Keenan Allen's contracts next offseason, Cleo Mack, Joey Boza, we have a lot of decisions to make. Dumping a lot of money into the running back position is not ideal. It's just not. It's a cost you want to avoid. The better Isaiah Spiller, Joshua Kelly, and Elijah Dodson play and develop and can show that they can be starting running backs in this league or backup running backs in this league, we should be rooting for that. Because... If you're paying a running back $12 million, top dollar, with the amount of injuries they face, it's not a good situation. And sure, and, I, and I'm not trying to disrespect running backs like Saquon Barkley, Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor. You only pay for a running back when you have a average or C-plus quarterback like Dak Prescott, Brock Purdy, Ryan Tannehill, those type of quarterbacks, Daniel Jones, that's when you pay for a top-tier running back when they are the center of your offense. 
Austin Eckler is not the center of the Chargers offense. That's Justin Herbert. So the cheaper you can go and get the same level of production, even if it's between three different guys, that's a good situation to have. Overpaying for a running back, that is the equivalent of bad debt. That's debt you don't want to take on. So the faster the running back position can get figured out, the better it's going to be. And I believe it's, it's going in a positive direction. Because I saw a lot of positive signs throughout these three preseason games. Dodson showed great moments. Spiller showed great moments. Kelly showed great moments. That's a good sign. And whoever can break through throughout the season behind Austin Eckler, whoever can claim that second spot and eventually the leading spot, will be in great shape, not only for this season, which is very important because this is a 14-win team, my view, but also the future. Because Austin Eckler, this time next year, more than likely will be somewhere else. Where is that going to be? I don't know because at the, when he requested a trade, not many teams were knocking on the door for him. Maybe that changes once he hits free agency. Do I think he's going to get the payday that he believes he will get? I don't think so. But we'll see. Um, so in terms of the defense, the backups look great. The front seven, Tooley, J2 Woods, Henley, all those guys look great. Tooley looks like he could start week one. The way he can move, he's explosive. He can just abuse offense alignment, just bull rush them, spin moves, get around them. He looks ready to go. He's going to be really, really good. I am excited to see him because that's the guy you need to go along with Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa. He can play week one. I have no doubts about Thule. Henley, he also looks great. I believe he should be starting over Kenneth Murray. I know for some reason, folks, Charger, some Charger fans on social media, they're still like, well, you know, Kenneth Murray is still linebacker one. Yeah, according to the depth chart, he is, but should he? Should Kenneth Murray be that when his PFF rating has tanked year after year after year since being drafted in 2020? Should he really be the starting linebacker? When he can't read gaps correctly, gets confused of when it's run or pass, missing tackles, whipping on tackles, doing that stupid spin move that doesn't accomplish anything. And the only good, decent game he had was when he had two interceptions against the Ravens in 2021, and that was the game we got destroyed in. So I believe, and I said it over and over again, that if Henley keeps progressing because he looked really good. He, he had a pick against the 49ers. He's been batting down balls throughout the preseason. He's great in pass coverage. He's gotten better each game in run defense. By week five, week four, week seven, he might be the starting linebacker. He might. He very well may be. And obviously you have Eric Kendricks and the, uh, the other linebacker, but I don't think the Kendricks and Kenneth Murray duo is going to be lasting very long. 
I believe eventually it's going to be Kendricks and Henley. And it should be. Because Henley right now, as the fourth round pick, is a much better linebacker than Kenneth Murray. Anyone that's been watching this team play, watching this defense, should be able to realize clearly that Henley already looks better. He looks competent. Sure, he's young. He's going to make mistakes. But just making the simple plays, game-changing plays, he already does that 20 times better than Kenneth Murray ever wished he could. And this idea that Kenneth Murray was not out there during any of the preseason games is ridiculous. Like, he should not be considered a starting linebacker. That second linebacker role should be wide open. Kendricks should be number one, but linebacker position number two, there should no no one should be locked in for that position, especially Kenneth Murray. That, to me, is ridiculous. I don't get that. Because he's done nothing his, throughout his career that says, yeah, I should be the starting running back. No, you shouldn't. You haven't done anything. JT Woods, similar to Isaiah Spiller on offense, never played last season. He had a lot of hype coming out of the draft. JT Woods had a lot of hype. He's an aggressive player, led college football on pick sixes, aggressive player, hits hard, did not play a single snap last season. Played in the preseason last year, was not very good, still very raw, but man, oh man, oh man, this training camp, he looked, according to people that were there every single day, he's looked, he's gotten better significantly, looked great in the preseason, especially in preseason game number three against the Niners on Friday, he had, he led the team in ta- defense and tackles with seven. He was aggressive reading plays, and I know Alohi Gilman's the second safety. He's respectable. He's not terrible, but he's also not great. He's not flipping a game. He's decent. If JT Woods can develop, now he's probably not going to start the season as safety number two. It's probably going to be Gilman, but if he can still continue to get better, show up in practice, keep a clean mindset, and not fall into this, oh, I'm a second-year player, I was a high draft pick, second round, third round, where's my role at? If he can avoid that mindset and not fall into that trap, which some of these guys tend to fall into, he could very well be safety number two. Because Gilman, with all due respect, he's a smart player, makes smart plays, but he doesn't have the speed and physical abilities that JT Woods has. And Duran James is the best safety in football by a country mile. He's needed help his entire career, and he hasn't had it. He had Nasir Adderley. He had other guys come in and go... JT Woods has the potential. He just needs to keep it consistent. 
keep showing up to practice, keep performing well in practice, understand the plays, understand the assignments. He needs to keep improving on that. But this preseason showed a lot because there were a lot of question marks heading in. What's his deal? What's he all about? What is he really about? What's he capable of doing? Because we saw him in the regular season a grand total two times. He played, what, two snaps. He has the potential, and he needs to show up and prove that he is the player that everyone was hyping him up to be. Because when, when we drafted him in, in last season, there was a lot of hype. They're like, oh, this guy's really, really good. Alongside Duran James, that's a dynamic duo. But we need to see it. And I believe if he can keep his head out of his ass, keep it out of the dark side of the internet, on Twitter, social media, if he can avoid reading what the pundits are saying. Just focus on your game. Focus on how you can improve and you'll be out there. So the backups on defense overall look great. That's a great sign. Because what have I said over and over again? What have many Charger fans said over and over again? We have all-star players. We have Duran James. We have Joey Boza. We had the Cleo Max. We have Eric Kendricks. We have all those guys. We have J.C. Jackson, Asante Samuel Jr. We have all the big names. But what do the role players have to provide? What can they bring to the table that's like, okay, there's not a significant drop-off if Duran James or Asante Samuel Jr. or Cleo Mack get injured. There's not going to be a significant um, drop-off. Tooley, Henley, JT Woods, Cam Brown. If those guys can all play well and continue to make plays and develop, we will have a really, really good backup unit. And that's what you need. You don't need him to be great. You don't need him to be all-stars. You don't need him to be Pro Bowl caliber players. You just need, need them to be competent when they come on the field. And this is the first preseason in a while that Charger fans can actually say, man, this looks like a competent unit. When Khalil Mack and Joey Boza are either injured or come off the field for a few plays, we're not going to get gashed into oblivion. So... Overall, I thought the preseason was a success. If the star players and the backup guys, the role players, can continue to improve and understand their assignments and their roles on the team, that's why I believe we can be a 14-1 a team. That's why I have us going 14-3, 5-1 division. Because this team has all the potential to get it done. And the excuse for the past couple of years has been the injury bug, bad kicking, backup players not playing well, not being up to par, 
offensive coordinator, head coach incompetence, which is still there. Brandon Staley is still the head coach, and he needs to stay out of the way. He needs to let Derek Ansley coach the defense, let Kellen Moore coach the defense. You manage the team. We don't need you running the defense. We don't need you getting your nose in the offense. Do your damn job. Be the CEO. Stay out of the way. Because this team has all the potential. We play Dolphins week one at Titans week two. Week three at Vikings. Week four at Raiders. Week six versus the Cowboys. Week seven at Chiefs. Week 8 versus the Bears. Week 9 at Jets. Week 10 versus the Lions. Week 11 at Packers versus the Ravens. Week 12. Week 13 at Patriots. Week 14 versus the Broncos. Week 15 at Raiders. Week 16 versus the Bills. Week 17 at Broncos. Week 18 versus the Chiefs. It's not going to be an easy schedule. The AFC is loaded every year with the best division in football. The best conference in football. But this team, with how deep this roster is, for the first time in a while, we have a legitimate chance to be a 14-win team. Now, we'll see how the injury bugs go. It's football. We're notorious for having injuries, where every team is. But it's how you navigate that. Because we've seen teams in the past, star player goes down, on defense or offense outside of quarterback, and they're still able to get to the playoffs. One major injury, whether it's on defense, wide receiver, linebacker, safety, corner, that shouldn't ruin an entire season. It shouldn't. So I think this roster is deep. You have a competent backup quarterback. Run game, you have three guys that are capable of being the future and also the backup this season. The backups on defense, front seven, Tooley, JT Woods, Henley, all those guys look look great. All right, so switching gears, JC Jackson, one of my favorite players. You don't get the sarcasm. I was like, listen, I was excited about him last season. Last offseason when we landed J.C. Jackson, I was looking forward to it. I took it hook, line, and sinker. I bought the propaganda. I bought it. Best cornerback in the league. PFF rating off the chains at 827 a 79.7 the year before, star cornerback. He's, he's a turnover machine. He will eat turnovers. He will eat interceptions for breakfast. That's what he does. And now there's speculation coming from J.C. Jackson and Brandon Staley that, well, you know, sure, he participated in training camp, all of it, but he may not be ready to go in week one. After he was cleared in June to be ready to go in week one. 
And listen, my issue with J.C. Jackson isn't with his injury because he couldn't control ripping his ankle, knee apart against the Seahawks. He couldn't control any of that. But his play leading up to that was an absolute disaster. It was a disaster. It was embarrassing. You can't pay a guy $82, $83 million. You can't have that guy play like crap. He looked like crap. His PFF before he got hurt was a 28.7. He was 134th in tackles. Receptions allowed, 19. Targets, 27. The year before, the Patriots, he was an 82 PFF. He was number two in interceptions, fourth in targets. Receptions allowed, he was tied for 26. Solo tackles, he was in the top 20. And people were making excuses for him. Well, the defense is different. You were playing zone. He's not playing man-to-man anymore. If you're an NFL player, a scheme should not be that drastic. Changing schemes should not cause a nosedive in your production. There's no excuse for that. That's called understanding the playbook and the situation you're coming into. That's on J.C. Jackson. That's his fault. Because there were numerous games leading up to his injury where he was pathetic against the Raiders. He missed that game because, oh, this is another problem. He participated in the entire in the entire training camp last season and then said, well, you know what? Actually, I need a knee procedure, a routine knee procedure. After he participated in the entire training camp, he waited until after training camp, after preseason, to get his procedure done, which was a load of BS. I was like, what the hell is that all about? So he didn't play week one against the Raiders, came back for week two against the Chiefs, looked terrible, got cooked by the Chiefs, third string, fourth string tight end for a 50-yard touchdown, which was embarrassing. He didn't play against the Jaguars, came back against the Texans and looked like crap. Brandon Cooks cooked him into oblivion. Came back against the Browns in week five, and Amari Cooper looked like a superstar again. He cooked him for 130 yards. I mean, he was shaking J.C. Jackson out of his boots. It was embarrassing. I mean, he was crossing him up like Allen Iverson or Damian Lillard or Chris Paul. I mean, he was putting him through the ringer. I mean, he looked like a fifth-string cornerback. I mean, he looked like a guy that shouldn't belong on an NFL roster, let alone a guy making $80 million. That was embarrassing. That's my problem with J.C. Jackson. And then in the Broncos game the week after, in that Monday night Justin Hopkins memorial game, when it was field goal parades, 
J.C. Jackson got benched. They had to throw Michael Davis in there. And Michael Davis played damn well because we were getting cooked by an overrated, washed-up Russell Wilson. Jason Jackson was terrible. And then, sure, people bring up, what well, he was you know, better in the Seahawks game, the game he tore his ankle and knee apart. But, di- but for folks that don't, that don't remember or choose not to remember, DK Metcalf left the game two minutes in, and I don't know what happened because I saw him leave on a cart on the sideline. I thought he was just going to use the bathroom, but he's never returned. And then a couple plays later, J.C. Jackson gets injured. So my issue with him is not that his injuries haven't setbacks. My problem is when you get on the field, you need to be 100%. If you can't play week one, can't play week two, can't play week three, but you can come back for week four against the Raiders at home, then fine. But don't rush back like you did after that stupid, inexplicable knee procedure you had. Just out of the blue. Oh, just routine. Yeah, sorry, guys. Did training camp, but eh, I'm going to be out for a couple of weeks because this knee procedure needs to be done now. Even though it's supposedly just routine. I don't want to hear any of that crap. I don't want to hear any crap about knee procedures. I don't want to hear anything. You come back when you're healthy. Because I don't want to hear it about the scheme while I'm still learning the scheme because that was the excuse weeks one through six. That was the excuse. Brandon Staley every week while you're still learning the scheme. Still learning the scheme. Still learning it. And then when he got benched Monday night against the Broncos it was like, yeah, he was getting he was getting exposed. He was benched. Because he, they didn't have a choice. He was a liability. He cannot be a liability again. Because if he is anything that he was last season, if if he's a liability again, if I'm the Chargers and I get it, you're paying him eighty million dollars guaranteed. I would consider begging a team to trade for him because you can't cut him because then that's going to be dead money against the cap. You don't want that. But if he looks anything like he did last season, I'm begging any team in the league. And I'm not sure what you can get for him. I don't know. That probably not even a box of cookies. Maybe a seventh round pick. But if he looks anything like he did last season. Man, that I'm done. Because you can't pay a guy $80 million guaranteed and for him to look like a fifth-string cornerback. And I get it that Duran James is his childhood friend. He recruited him to the team. There's no excuses. I don't want to hear about scheme, the scheme fit, because you knew the scheme when you signed the dotted line for that boatload of money. The scheme wasn't bothering you then. The scheme wasn't bothering you then. When you're getting that when that 80 million hits your bank account, you weren't thinking about the scheme. You weren't thinking about it. I didn't hear anything about it because you're all ready to go. You're excited. You're like, man, this is a new environment. 
up-and-coming team. I didn't hear one word about the scheme. I didn't hear anything about it, and I don't want to hear about it again. That's a bullshit excuse. Anyone knows it. Anyone that agrees the terms on a job offer or whatever it is, you're supposed to read over the terms and understand the situation you're coming into. There's no surprises. The Chargers defense and what they run is different than the Patriots defense. It's not man-to-man. It's a lot of the zone. I knew that. I'm pretty damn sure J.C. Jackson knew that. But guess what? He saw that money in the contract. And eh, whatever. Eh, wow, $80 million? Nice. So I don't want to hear about the scheme. If you were so concerned about the scheme, why didn't you stay with the Patriots? Oh, you saw $80 million and said, oh, okay, bam. I get $80 million and then I get to be with my childhood friend, Duran James. That's all great. But you still got to show up to work and perform. And you haven't done that in the six, five games you've played in. Because in those five, six games against the Chiefs, Texans, Browns, Broncos, Seahawks, you didn't look great. It's not a good sign when you're paying a guy top dollar when he gets injured, the secondary improves. Michael Davis is not a great player by by, by any stretch. But he was playing way better than you. You didn't even look average. You looked terrible. You can't have that. So I don't want to hear any excuses. You return when you're healthy. Don't rush yourself back and then say, oh, well, the scheme, I'm still learning it. No, you've had plenty of time, plenty of downtime to look through the playbook, talk to Derek Ansley, talk to Brandon Staley, talk to everyone on defense, Duran James, Michael Davis, Asante Samuel Jr. You've had plenty of time to look over the scheme. Yeah, you've been rehabbing. How about you open that playbook and review it some? Especially with the damn with the amount of money the team's paying you. They're not paying you to suck. They're paying you to be the player you've been and will be. So play like it. All right, so switching gears to some NBA talk. And Eric Spolstra made some very interesting comments regarding the the state of the Miami Heat roster. He said, quote, we're bringing back the majority of our players, and that's a luxury in this league. Things are so transient. Things are moving fast. It seems like it's moving fast now than even four, five, six years ago. We feel great about our group. End quote. So that's what Eric Spoelstra said. He feels great about the Miami Heat roster. 
Is Damian Lillard on the Miami Heat at the time this podcast is being recorded? He is not. He is currently still a Portland Trailblazer. He has not been traded yet. And according to his agent and from the horse's mouth himself, Damian Lillard, he wants to be on the Miami Heat. He wants to play with Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler. He wants to be a part of that. He has said, point blank, the only team I'm going to is the Miami Heat. And the Miami Heat have not completed any trade. And I get it. The Blazers want to play hardball. We want the best compensation. We want this amount of picks. We don't want the Tyler Hero contract. We want this guy, that guy. We don't want this, that. NBA history has played out over and over again. It has presented to us that NBA stars, superstars, when they demand a trade, no matter when it is, no matter when it is during their contract, whether it's year number one or the second year or last year of their contract, they get what they want. Anthony Davis demanded a trade from the Pelicans. Where did he want to go? Lakers. Pelicans said, we're not going to do that. Where did he go? Oh, wait. Lakers. Shaq wanted out of the Orlando. He wanted to go to the Lakers. Where did he go? Oh, wait. Lakers. Kevin Durant demanded a trade from the Nets. Where did he want to go? Phoenix. Phoenix Suns. Where did he end up? Took a couple months. Oh, wait. He's on the Phoenix Suns. James Harden's done it a few times. Ate his way. Got fat. Quit his way out of Houston. Where did he want to go? Brooklyn. Where did he end up? On the Brooklyn Nets. Wanted out of the Nets. Wanted away from Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Where did he want to go? 76ers. Nets were like, we're not going to send you there. Where did he go? Oh, wait. He's on the 76ers. He wants out of the 76ers again. He wants on the move again. He wants the Clippers. Where is he probably going to end up? On the Clippers. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't believe the Clippers should touch him with a five-foot pole. But they're probably going to do it anyway. He's probably going to be on the Clippers at some point. The Miami Heat need to get the trade done. They better hope they do. Because this roster that Eric Spolstra is excited about is not great. It's Jimmy Butler, who's really, really good. He's been he's proved over and over again he can get a team to the NBA Finals. 2020 to the, in the bubble against the Lakers. Last season against the Nuggets. As an eight seed, got the Miami Heat to the playoffs. Got him to the finals. He's proven he can do that, but he needs help once he gets to the finals because he's worn out from dragging him there. Who's the guy that can fill the void, take the weight off his shoulders? That's a Damian Lillard. 
He can drop 60 and 50 points whenever he feels like it. He's a scoring machine. He's the second best three-point shooter behind Stephen Curry. He can shoot it from the logo like it's no big deal. So the Miami Heat should want him. They need to find a way to get it done. Because the roster of Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Kyle Lowry, who's five years past his prime, he's just collecting a check at this point, Tyler Hero, Kevin Love, Josh Richardson, Caleb Martin, Duncan Robinson, Thomas Bryant, that's not winning an NBA championship. The magic carpet ride of this year's finals run, not happening again. The chances of that happening are very low. It's happened twice in NBA history. This past season with the Miami Heat, and then back in 1999 with the Knicks in a lockout shortened year against the Spurs when they lost in five. It's only happened a handful of times. And I'm pretty damn sure it's not going to happen again. This, especially this upcoming season, because the Bucks are going to be better. They they've over um, overhauled their roster. They got Giannis coming back. Chris Middleton. We'll see what his injury future is like. Drew Holiday's back. Brooke Lopez, Pat Cunnington, Bobby Portis, Robin Lopez is in the mix. Grayson Allen. They've got a solid core that plays tough defense. And in that first round when the Miami Heat beat them, Giannis was injured. He got hurt in game one. And I, I'm not trying to discredit the Miami Heat's run because I loved it as a Miami Heat fan, as a Jimmy Butler fan. But Giannis was banged up. Let's be objective here. If he's not hurt, is that is that a five-game a five series? Are the Heat winning that 4-1? Probably not. So this idea that it's going to be an easy cakewalk is not true because even the Celtics, they've gotten better. And, and listen, I don't love them as much as the Bucks and even the Knicks, but they got Jason Tatum back. They got Jalen Brown back, just signed to a record contract. They got Robert Williams III. They got Porzingis, which, which I am not a big fan of because he's had numerous opportunities with the Knicks and Mavericks and he's underperformed. He's either underperformed or injured in the playoffs or unplayable. They got Malcolm Brogdon. They got Al Horford. They got Derek White. They got Peyton Pritchard. They got a core that's reached the finals in the conference finals year after year after year. I mean, Jason Tatum, we saw him in a game seven against the 76ers. He can get you 50 plus. He can do that. He's got into the finals. They just haven't gotten over the hump. And then you have the head coach, Joe Mazzula. It's just going to be his second year. Because last season, he was thrown into the fire after the Ime Udoka firing. He was thrown to the wolves and he was learning on the fly. Now he has a year under his belt, an entire proper offseason as the head coach. They should theoretically be better. Now, do I believe they'll miss Marcus Smart? Yes, I do. And also, the problem, other problem with the Celtics is they still don't have a true point guard. So if I were the Celtics, I would be like, huh, Dame, they should have considered it. They can't trade Jalen Brown now because the Blazers are for sure not trading for that ridiculous contract. $300 million plus for Jalen Brown. 
when you have Scoot Henderson in the house already, a future superstar point guard, you're not going to do that. So the Celtics, they'll be improved. We'll see by how much. I mean, they're always going to be good as long as they have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and all those guys. The 76ers, now they're a bit of a mess. They got Joel Embiid still. For how much longer, we'll see. They got James Harden as of right now. They got Tyrese Maxey. They got Mo Bamba. They got Patrick Beverly, Montrez Harrell, P.J. Tucker. I don't love the 76ers as much as the Celtics and the Bucks. But if they can keep those guys together, Nick Nurse can get them organized, get everyone on the same page. The 76ers, they're still a tough team. Joel Embiid can still get you 50 points, 40 points. Even despite their dysfunction, they're going to be a tough team to beat. Come playoff time, can they get past the second round? Probably not. Jimmy Butler has the 76ers number since he's been on the Miami Heat. He's 2-0 against them in the playoffs for a reason. Because he owns them psychologically. The Knicks. The Knicks are up and coming. They're kind of waiting in the weeds. They're keeping an eye on Joel Embiid. They have close connections with his agent. Joel Embiid's close with guys in the front office. He could potentially be a New York Knick in a couple of years. Potentially this upcoming summer if he demands a trade. The Knicks. They're a tough team. I don't Love their roster. It's, you know, R.J. Barrett could be better, but they got R.J. Barrett. They got Julius Randle, who plays well in the regular season. But come postseason, it's like he takes a nosedive. Jalen Brunson, young, up-and-coming player. He's leading Team USA right now. Mitchell Robinson, Josh Hart, Evan Fournier, who doesn't play much anymore. But Emmanuel Quickly. They just added Dante DiVincenzo. The Knicks are an up-and-coming, fun young team. Tom Thibodeau, their head coach, might be his last year because Jay Wright sitting in the shadows, waiting in the weeds. It might be the Jay Wright slash Joel and B duo coming to town, but the Knicks are—they're a tough team. They gave the Miami Heat a lot of trouble. They have just from a top-heavy standpoint. They have a deeper roster. They have more scoring than the Miami Heat. R.J. Barrett, Randall, Brunson, Robinson, DiVincenzo, quickly. That's better than any option the Miami Heat currently have. Of after Besides Butler and Bam, Kyle Lowry, Tyler Hero, Kevin Love, Josh Richardson, Caleb Martin, Duncan Robinson. Who on the next roster... Are you switching out for any any of the Miami Heat guys that's not named Bam Adebayo or Jimmy Butler? You're not switching out for Kevin Love. Are you switching out for Kyle Lowry? Heck no. Are you switching out for Josh Richardson? Probably not. Kayla Martin? Maybe. But that's a coin flip. Duncan Robinson? No. Thomas Bryant? No. You're probably not going to do any of that. So the Miami Heat need to find a way to get Damian Lillard. I mean, sure, Eric Spoelstra is not going to come out and say, yeah, you know, our roster sucks. If Yeah, I mean, he's not going to say that. I mean, he's a smart head coach. He's probably the best head coach in the league. 
but he's fooling himself. If they don't get Dame, that is an absolute travesty. That's a disaster. So they need to get that done. They need to complete the Damian Lillard trade somehow, someway. And sure, all the big NBA guys, media guys say, Miami don't have any assets, they don't have a good trade offer. Sure, they can get a third team involved and make it work. They just need to find a way to get it done. Because if it doesn't get done, Celtics, Bucks, Knicks are all better than the Miami Heat. We'll see about the 76ers. They, they should be better than the Miami Heat as currently constructed. But with the whole James Harden fiasco, demanding a trade, calling Darren Mori a liar, the Jerome Bede future in doubt, not getting past the second round, mental weakness. The Miami Heat are going to be screwed if they don't get Dame because Gabe Vincent, gone. Max Strews, gone. They're gone. Even if they ran the same same team back, they were not going to repeat what they did last year, or they shouldn't. Could they have improved and built better chemistry? Sure. But they don't have Gabe Vincent and Max Strews anymore. The roster is worse. Because if you're Jimmy Baller, bam... Like, really? Kyle Lowry? I mean, sure, he's a nice guy, NBA champion, but he's five years past his prime. Tyler Hero, Kevin Love, Josh Richardson, fine player. Kayla Martin, he's a good, he had his great moments. Duncan Robinson, inconsistent. That's not winning an NBA championship. You might get past the Eastern Conference again, but you're not going to beat the Nuggets, Lakers, Suns, Warriors, you're not going to beat any of those teams. As currently constructed, you're going to get swept again. And even in that Celtics series in the conference finals, they almost came back from a 3-0 deficit. And But the Celtics imploded at home. But when they faced the Nuggets, who are a great basketball team, Jokic, the best player on the planet, they got cooked. They got exposed, finally. So the Miami Heat need to find a way to get this, get this trade done. They better have Damian Lillard on their team before the season, ideally, or before the trade deadline. If they end up with nothing this season, that's a failure on the front office of the Miami Heat and Pat Riley. It just is. All right, so switching gears real quick here, and I know I don't talk a lot about college football, but the season starts uh, this upcoming Saturday. So I'm going to give briefly here my college football playoff prediction. So number one, Alabama. They're going to be a great team. They're moving back to their 2015 offense of when they ran Derrick Henry to a championship. They can run the football, rely on a physical defense that suffocates teams into oblivion. They're back to average quarterback quarterback play. And, and look at all their, their dominant teams. And, and everyone wants to point towards the 2020 season, the Tua years, the Bryce Young years, 
of how dominant they were. They could score points. They had every receiver in the draft from Alabama. Go back to their years of 2012, 2011, 2010, 2015, when they were a suffocating run defense stopping run game, big quarterback, average quarterback. They were really dominant. They were at their peak when they could do all that. And I believe from what I've heard from my brother, who's a college football expert, he should have his own podcast, by the way. They're moving back to that 2015-2012 model of just demoralizing teams in the run game and on defense. If they do that and do that at a high level, I have them as my one seed. And looking at their schedule real quick, their big games are against Texas, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Tennessee, LSU. They can beat all those teams. Like, I believe they'll smoke Texas. I believe they'll smoke Ole Miss. I believe they'll smoke Texas A&M. And I believe they'll smoke Tennessee. And potentially, they're going to have LSU at home. They got Tennessee, LSU, and Ole Miss, Texas, all at home. I believe they can smoke all those teams. So, Alabama, number one. Number two, Georgia. They'll be really good. They're NFL draft machine. The SEC East is weak. The question mark is at quarterback. How's the quarterback going to be? It hasn't really mattered since Kirby Smart has gotten there. JT Daniels was supposed to be the superstar quarterback. He never panned out. He's been the quadrillion places. He's transferred everywhere. He's been on every team in college football probably. But they they won two championships with Stetson Bennett. So whoever the quarterback is going to be for Georgia, it doesn't really matter. When you have a suffocating defense, a great running game, good enough wide receivers, you can, and that SEC East, which has been a dumpster fire for the past 10 years, they can win games. The problem is three-peating in any sport is extremely difficult. Getting complacent is a big, it's a big thing. NBA, it's hard to three-peat. NFL, it's hard to three-peat. Any league, it's hard to three-peat. The Miami Heat tried three-peating in 2014. They got to the finals, couldn't finish it. They ran out of gas. Nick Saban's tried to three-peat. They get complacent, run out of gas. Other teams, bumps in the road. Georgia's schedule, it's a joke. They start off with a cupcake in week one, another cupcake in week two. They're better than South Carolina. They're better than Auburn. They're better than, than Kentucky. They're better than Vanderbilt, Florida, which has been a shell of themselves ever since the Urban Meyer era. Missouri, Ole Miss, Tennessee, Georgia Tech. They can beat all those teams. Like So I believe the SEC championship is going to be Alabama-Georgia. Like I believe Georgia and Alabama could very well be undefeated heading into those games. So that was my first two teams. Number three is a bit of a wild card. I got Utah. Utah, Pac-12 is, you know, running gun, spread offense, high scoring, no defense. Utah is physical on offense and defense. Smart head coach, quarterback, run game. I believe their quarterback might be out for the first game against Florida, which is on Thursday. I don't believe it's going to matter. They have the type of offense where they can run the football, where they can 
protect the backup quarterback. And that's a big value to have. That's a that's a great tool to have. And sure, USC has the best quarterback, but USC in the game they played against San Jose State, they gave up 28 points on defense. Look at Utah's schedule. They play Florida week one. I believe they can win that game at Baylor. It might be a tough road game. They can win that cupcake week three. They play UCLA, Oregon State, California. The tough games are going to be USC. I believe they can beat USC. They swept them twice last year. They can beat Oregon. I don't like Oregon's quarterback situation. Washington, there's a lot of hype around them. That may, they have to go at Washington. That's going to be a tough game. I believe they can win that at Arizona, and then they finish off against the Dion fighting Buffaloes at Colorado. So I got Utah number three. They're sort of my TCU team this season. Now to number four. I debated on putting Notre Dame at number three. I like the head coach, Marcus Freeman. He got thrown into a rocky situation, got off to a rocky start, lost to Ohio State, and lost to Marshall last season, 1-0-2. But he turned them around. They finished off 9-4. They got hot late last season, kept it close at USC, beat a really good South Carolina team in their bowl game, had a great recruiting class. They still are recruiting at a high level. They've had a season to implement a system, a culture. They'll win big games against the Ohio State and Clemson. They look great against Navy yesterday. I mean, they look great. Uh, I watched that entire game. And by the way, the ga- I-, I love I love the new clock rules. I like how these games aren't going to take five hours. No reason to stop the clock after every first down. I'm glad that they did away with that. They look great against Navy. Sam Harmon, they they finally got a quarterback. They finally have a quarterback that's a veteran. They can run the football, smart, progressive. They smoked Navy yesterday, 42-3. They play a cupcake in week two. Their toughest games are going to be against Ohio State. At home, I believe they can win that game. I think Ohio State's going to be in for a down year. At home against USC. At Clemson, I believe they can beat USC at the home game. They're more physical. USC's defense still has a lot of question marks. Even if it gets better, are we really going to notice? Like, Leak and Riley teams never play great defense. I believe the defense is going to be terrible again. They gave up 28 points against freaking San Jose State, for crying out loud. So, there you go. And then Clemson. At Clemson, sure, Clemson used to be a tough program, but I believe... Dabo's in neutral control. I I think he's just kind of hanging out, waiting to retire. I wouldn't be shocked if he retires in a couple of years. I think he's just kind of done. He's failed to adapt his offense, adapt his culture. I think he's done. I think he's just waiting for the right time to leave. So teams that didn't quite make the cut, Penn State, there's a lot of hype around them. I believe they could very well win the Big Ten because I believe Ohio State's overrated. And Michigan, we'll see. Michigan's a good team, but I think Penn State has a very good chance. They have a really good running back, Singleton. They have a good quarterback coming in. The problem is, similar to the Milwaukee Bucks of Giannis and Jokic and any other NBA player, I need to see you win the championship. I need to see you get to the Final Four, and he hasn't done it yet. James Franklin has a lot of hype. He's considered a top five head coach, top ten. Get it done. Can you get it done for once? What have you accomplished? 
Sure, you have draft. You have guys to the draft every year. Saquon Barkley, Micah Parson. You send guys. You'll send another guy to the draft. But can you get to the playoff and win a championship? I hear about all these great recruiting classes they have. All these great, uh, great teams, great players. Can you just win, get to the playoff for once, please? So having the number five, number six, Florida State. They have a good enough roster. Quarterbacks talented. Defense has a lot of playmakers. But the head coach hasn't shown the capability yet to get it done. Can he win the big games? He has a great opportunity. Week one against LSU. A win against that team would be a great start. The problem with Florida State is can they compete with the Clemson? Can they get past tough games against NC State? If they get to a college football playoff, can they compete with Alabama? Can they compete with Notre Dame? Penn State, Utah, Georgia, Alabama, can they? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I quite trust the head coach. Like, there's going to be, there's a, there's a high chance for a stupid loss on the road at Wake Forest or Syracuse. I got to I gotta see him do it. There's a lot of, I hear all this potential about Florida State. They improved last year, 10-win season. Take the next step. They could very well do it, but I don't believe they will. Penn State, same thing. We've been waiting for James Franklin to take that next step year after year after year, and he hasn't done it. There's always something. Whether he loses to Michigan State, Penn, uh, Ohio State, Michigan, whoever it is, they got to get it done. And this supposedly is their best team that he's ever had. Get it done. I need to see you do it. So my final four, Alabama, Georgia, Utah, and Notre Dame. All righty. That is it for this edition of Opinions All Day. I will see you guys next time.